we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about one that um, we're going to look at a couple different ways because our culture teaches this. I don't know that everybody out there believes in God and thinks God says it, but they think this is some type of universal truth. But I'm going to tell you, God never said this. And you'll hear this. This is kind of like our cultural thing now in America. And you saw it in that skit there that um, people really feel this is true, that it doesn't matter what I do as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Yeah? I mean, you hear that constantly nowadays. I mean, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, that no one really thinks that anything that they do is wrong as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, right? And so part of the problem is, is people don't really see themselves as a bad person. No, I mean, hardly anybody does. No one sees themselves as a sinner, okay? Now, I want you to just kind of relax a little bit and look around. You've got to participate. You're not here to just, you know, observe. You're here for God to interact with your spirit, your soul, and all that. Um, but look around. Be a little bit aware for a moment of all these great people around you. How many of you know at least one person in here that you would say, I know they're a sinner? Uh, and, and, and go ahead and point to them right now. Would you do that? Look at the person to your right, to your left. Do they just look like a sinner to you? Huh? Okay, well, let's dial it down here. How many of you in your life would, would admit today that you have ever stolen anything? Huh? I mean, it started you know, when I was a kid, I stole a pack of gum at Crockett's store. Because when I was a kid, getting a piece of gum was a big deal back then, you know. You couldn't just kids come to church and expect to give you gum. You had to be good. Yeah, okay, well, anyway. Yeah, yeah, so, so um, yeah, stolen. How many of you have ever told a lie in this room? Wow. So, man, so think about this. Uh, <laughs> we have... Uh, Lie? Okay, uh, everybody, if, you're, if this is your first time here today, uh, welcome to our church. We're a church full of thieves and liars and all kinds of sinners here. You just saw it. You just saw it. Yeah, we are. Uh, so, God, we kind of have fun with that. But uh, you know what? In our society that we live in today, it's kind of like, um, you know, the Bible does talk about an unpardonable sin. But in our culture that we live in, it's like the unpardonable sin today has become calling anyone else a sinner. That, that's kind of what, yeah. It's, it's that if you say someone else is doing something wrong, that, that's like the most wrong thing you could do. What, what would you say is like the, one of the key values of our society today? Well, it might used to have been like truth and your word. You remember, you remember in the day when you could go by a person's word? Their word was their body. It's not that way now. I, I hope you're aware of that. <laughs> Someone said, and I think it would be a good argument made for this, that probably one of the biggest cultural values that we see in our, our culture, that's that, that's that society in which we live. I'm not talking about from the Bible, I'm talking about that if you're involved in the world that you see and, and with the media and with, with just the influence of all of our culture and society, it seems like the highest thing that our culture seems to value is one word, tolerance. Tolerance. And it's, it's like nowadays in this world that we live in that the biggest problem, and, and the, the thing is if, if there's something that you say is wrong, you're intolerant and you're a bad person. 
And, and today they've even redefined what that means. See, because there was a time that tolerance used to mean that you considered every person to be of equal value. Every person, uh, male, female, uh, yellow, black, red, white, green, whatever color, that were all of equal value. But now they've changed the definition to mean that to be tolerant means that all ideas, beliefs, and behaviors have equal value. See? They've changed the definition. It doesn't mean what it used to mean, right? And people who are... Don't, don't you see that in our society today? And that people who actually believe that and promote that uh, are, are very hypocritical about it, it seems like, because they think everything ought to be tolerated and all beliefs and ideas ought to be tolerated unless you're the type of person that says, no, there is, there is absolute truth and some things are absolutely wrong and then those who are so tolerant and say everything ought to be tolerated become very intolerant of you and can't tolerate you one bit. So it's very hypocritical. It's very hypocritical that you be tolerate everything except those who don't tolerate everything, and then that's intolerable. Okay, we've got a problem, don't we? So to just live any way you want to, and it doesn't matter what you do, don't judge me. Don't judge me. That's kind of a, a, a common theme of our culture today. But I got to tell you, God never said that. And let me read one scripture to start our thoughts, okay? Let's get some truth from what is true. Solomon wrote, of course, many of the Proverbs, uh, most of the Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes, he gives a lot of advice, you know, and even in there it talks about there's a, you know, a season for everything, a time, and he gives all kinds of wisdom. But when he comes to the very end, you know, he talks about some of the futility in life, and he experienced it. He didn't just know about it as far as just theory and, you know, giving advice, but he, he actually experienced trying to find happiness and joy and peace and all that in other ways and then not finding it. Finally, he comes to the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is it all. How can I sum this up? He says, here it is. You ready? Fear God. Boom! That's it. Fear God, and because you do that, the next part, and keep his commandments. For this is man's all, or this is, this is the whole duty of all humans. Why? Verse 14. Listen to this. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Whoa. So that's what God's word says. But you and I live in a world and in a society that wants to water down and sanitize everything with no regard to absolute truth, right? That, that's, what we, that's, that's where we're at. That's where we live. I mean, instead of calling it one thing, we try to make it sound a little different. And, and it's, it's, we're rebranding, see? You've heard of rebranding, like things aren't working good. You want to rebrand yourself. And I see people do that all the time. And it's okay. It's okay. Maybe some of us need to do that. But it doesn't work when it comes to rebranding what God calls sin. You know, like you change your style, change your hair, and, you know, start going by a different name. I mean, there's people I went to high school with and everything that I meet them and, and I call them by their name and they're almost embarrassed because they don't really go by that name anymore. They go by a different name that they kind of come up with that everybody else knows them by. I was just like, okay, that's weird. Uh, but anyway, but <laughs> am I the only one that has a relative? I mean, not a relative, but uh, uh, somebody that you know that does that? Huh? Okay. All right. Um, so... Um, 
I'll never forget when we were in uh, orientation, freshman class in college, that was kind of going through names, and, and you know, the, the, the uh, dean was reading through things with the guys there, and he comes to this one guy, he says, okay, uh, James, he goes, is that James, Jimmy, or Jim? He goes, Mike. And he's, oh, okay, Mike, all right. He's Mike now, <laughs> I guess. But we do that with sin. We want to call it by something else. For instance, instead of calling it pornography, we call it adult entertainment. You see, we kind of sanitize it, water it down just a little bit. Uh, instead of calling it an affair, uh, we, we, or instead of calling it adultery, rather, we call it an affair or just a fling or something like that. Uh, instead of calling it uh, premar- premarital sex a sin like the Bible does, we refer to it as just fooling around or something like that. Uh, and, and instead of accepting God's design that he clearly lays out in Scripture for the home and for family and for everything, uh, we... We want to do things a different way and pervert things around our own way, and we call it an alternative lifestyle, right? Alternative. Well, they got that part somewhat right because it is alternative. It's alternative to the way God designed things. And so basically it comes down to, yeah, you may have the freedom to do whatever you want to do, but you don't have the freedom to change God's word because God's word hasn't changed. Okay, so God's design for the home, for marriage, and for all these things is set forth in Scripture. And so we try to instead of, we don't want to call things, how dare you call that a sin? Right? That's like, now you're the biggest sinner to our culture if you do that. Uh, But, you know, it's nothing new. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, Tony Evans, several years ago, one of his books, he wrote this. I quote, I like Dr. Tony Evans. He says, what we call accidents... God calls abominations. What we call blunders, God calls blindness. What we call chance, God calls choice. What we call defects, God views as spiritual disease. What we call error, God says is enmity. What we call a fascination, God calls a fatality. What we describe as an infirmity, God describes as iniquity. What we view as liberty, God views as lawlessness. What we call weakness, God says, is actually willingness. I'm just, end quote. I'm just weak. I just kept, God says, no, you weren't just weak. You were willing. You were willing to do what was wrong, okay? So this is what happens. And so we redefine sin in our society. And the unpardonable sin has become telling someone else that they're doing something wrong. And that whole lie that... It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone. I got to tell you, God never said that. And the Bible doesn't teach that. I got to tell you the truth. Do you want to hear the truth today? The truth that comes down through thousands and thousands of years and it comes from the word of God that was inspired by God and he used men to write it down and it has stood the test of time. It, it passes all the archaeological, the scientific, the historical, the literary requirements uh, to be accurate handed down to us, preserved through the years. And here's what the truth it declares is, is that sin is very real. It does matter what you do. Sin has very dramatic earthly consequences and potentially damning eternal consequences. That sin is very real, and it has dramatic earthly consequences and potentially damning eternal consequences. That's what the Word of God says about it. So we're going to expose, and going through this here in just the next few minutes, want to expose three cultural lies that if you live in this world and you're out and about and you're involved in anything, these are three lies 
that you're going to encounter and that you're going to have to deal with. And they need to be exposed as lies. See, I've got to have something that I, I've got to have the truth. I need to just not kind of filter things through what works for our society and what we think is okay. What everybody in the see, truth is not just whatever our society can find that works for us. Because if you believe that, then you're going to have a hard time saying that what Hitler did was wrong. Because he thought that's what worked for him and his society. See? I had a guy in the office one time not really believing in God. And I said, I don't understand that. How can you really believe that there's such thing as good and bad and truth and, and things that aren't true if you don't believe there's someone higher than us and greater than us that set all this into motion? And, and going through that whole thing about that, he finally decided that, yes, there had to be someone. There had to be something. But don't be pushing this down my throat, he said. Right? These lies need to be exposed. And the only way they're exposed is when the truth is revealed. Okay? All right, so you need the truth of God. Listen, young people, if you don't, if you don't saturate your heart with the truth of God, you are going to believe lies. There's nothing more sad than people going through life and believing lies. They believe lies so long that they think the lies are the truth. You will be deceived. Satan is a deceiver. That's why we want to deal with some of these things that we think God said or we think that are okay, but God never said that, okay? So here, you ready for some uh, exposure here? One of the, these, these three cultural lies we're going to expose is that, first of all, I'm not a sinner. That is, I'm not a bad person. I'm really not. I, I, I know I'm not perfect, you know, and nobody is, but I'm not a bad person. People do not want to view themselves as sinners. And if you point out that you're a sinner, then you've already committed the biggest sin in the whole world, huh? Okay, well, now, according to the Word of God, what does the Word of God say? Are you ready? We're going to have to run through several verses. You want to write these down, meditate on them later, and, uh, because this is a kind of a topical-type message. Uh, in 1 John 1.8, in 1 John 1.8, he tells us plainly, he says, if we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if you come off saying, well, I'm, I'm not a bad person, I'm not a sinner, then the Bible says you're deceived and you don't even have the truth. It's not even anywhere in you. And what we try to do is we try to compare. We, we look around and we want to compare ourselves to other people, and you start pointing out things, and, and people be like, yeah, but, right? And, and we point to other people, but they do this, and but they do that, and everybody's doing this, and all these people can't be wrong. Hmm? We do that all the time, that comparison thing. You know, little kids, they, we just, it's part of our sinful nature. You know, you try to get on to one of the kids, hey, stop doing that. Well, he, and we, you know, they start, well, she, they did, you know, like that. you school teachers hear it every day, I'm sure. You know, well, they can't point anything out that you did without, well, they did. We want to compare to everybody else. <clears throat> I think there are some people think that someday in judgment, because they'll say, well, I'm as good as so-and-so, and I'm as good as that. I don't think the Bible says anything about on the day of judgment, God saying, because you're standing there, hey, so-and-so, would you get over here? Yeah, you kind of are better than them. Well, that's not how judgment is going to happen. And then there are some people that think that, well, God just has this big set of scales up there, like the old-fashioned scales that we used to weigh things in, and um, that you would buy like a pound of sugar, and they had a, a certified pound weight they would set on one, and they would put sugar in the other side till it came to the balance, and they knew that you had not exactly a pound of sugar, if that's what you're buying, and so forth and so on. But somehow people have the idea that when you get in judgment, God's just going to weigh your good works against your, your bad. 
and that as long as my good outweighs my bad, surely that I get in, so I don't really consider myself a sinner. The problem is when we look in Scripture and we see what the Bible says, on God's side of the scales, what does he judge us against? And we find out that we're judged against God's absolute perfection and holiness. That is, unless you are as perfect as Jesus Christ, you don't measure up, and you're a sinner. So it's a lie to say that you're not a bad person, that you're not a sinner. Um, so uh, here's, what, here's what Paul says, Romans 3.23. You probably know this verse. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that word translated sin there in the original language is an archery term that I'm very familiar with as I am practicing trying to get sharp, you know, uh, for bow hunting. And that it literally means to miss the target, <laughs> to miss the mark. Now, I haven't missed the whole target. But, I mean, when it comes spiritually, we're not just missing the bullseye. We're nowhere on the target. We don't even make it there. Because that bullseye is the glory of God. And that involves all the perfection and the holiness and the awesomeness of God. Every single one of us falls short of that. So according to the word of God, guess what? We are all, are you with me? We are all bad people. None of us qualify on our own. That means we are all, compared to the one that we're compared to, we are all sinners. We have all missed the mark. And guess what? Not only are we all sinners, the Bible says that there's nothing that we can do because we're already spiritually dead and we're lost. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. So that's the, that's the problem. See, I'm glad there's a gospel out there, huh? I'm glad God has given it. And the word gospel means what? Good news. See, but before you understand the good news, you got to hear the bad news. I know I've said this a lot, but that's why we know the good news is good news, because there's bad news. That's what makes the good news good news. Otherwise, it'd just be news, right? It's the bad news. And the bad news is we're all lost. We're sinners, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Uh, so that's our situation. So the lie that I'm not a bad person needs to be exposed. And here's the second one that we have in our culture. Not just I'm not a sinner or a bad person, but a lot of times we believe this lie that all sin's the same. And, and you hear that all the time. People, Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You know, sin is sin. Sin is sin. And we say that. There's some truth to this. Okay? So here becomes the difficult part is dissecting uh, part truths from completely true because if something's just partway true and not all the way true, guess what? Still not true. And the, 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 the most effective lies are sometimes lies that sound the most like the truth. Now, please understand something as I start this off that all sin is equal in terms of condemnation. As far as sin causing us to miss the mark, and fall short of the glory of God, all sin is equal. And you can say, that part is true. Sin is sin as far as condemnation. It doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are. Any sin disqualifies us from being right with God. So in that sense, sin is sin. And they're equal in terms of condemnation, but all sin is not the same in terms of consequences. Consequences that happen. Uh, so that, this, is, this is what the Bible teaches. All, listen to me, all unforgiven sin, no matter how you categorize it, all unforgiven sin leads to eternal death. All unforgiven sin leads to eternal death. But you can't broadly and conclusively say that all sin is just the same. Now, all unforgiven sin 
no matter what it is, leads to death. In fact, that's what Paul says in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin, this is what sin earns. The wages of sin is what? Death. And I'm glad he says, but the gift, gift is something that God paid for himself. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the wages of sin is death. The consequences are not quite the same. Let me give you an example of this. I'm driving not long ago, and, you know, just kind of traffic's a little crazy in one of our bigger cities around here, and I kind of accidentally cut someone off, and they honk at me, and when they come by, they wave at me. (laughs) You know, they point at me, actually. Tall man, you know. uh, (laughs) And, you know, when you get mad at someone, and you're yelling things at them, and you, uh, you flip them off, you know, that's a sin, okay? But it's not quite the same had he pointed a gun at me and shot me with a gun instead of shooting his finger at me, right? Wouldn't you say? There's a difference there? Absolutely there's a difference. So you can't say that they're, they're both sin as far as condemnation, but they're not the same as far as consequences. Now, as I said, all sin separates us from God, but all sin in itself is not the same. And how we live, how we live is important. You've got to understand that. Even though, because we have a Christianized version, version of this that we're going to deal with. Uh, how you live is very important. Uh, there are three things that sin influences. You need to, as, as a Christian even, you need to realize this. Three things that sin influences. It influences consequences on earth. It influences rewards in heaven. And it influences punishment in hell. These are some things that I find in, in the scripture. And, and first off, it influences consequences on earth. And you say, oh yeah, well God will forgive me, but still there are going to be consequences. Even though he takes care of the condemnation, there are still consequences. And even there, not all sin is the same. So there's that lie again. Let me, can I give you a for instance? Let's say I'm down here on Saturday night at the cafe, and I am just packing it in, man. I am just eating, having a, a, a all-you-can-eat something or another, and I'm just going on and on. And you go up to the buffet, and there's hardly everything there because anytime they bring something out, man, I'm on it. I'm right there. You know, plus it's kind of like that time we were at that restaurant down in Branson where they had the crab legs, and you could, I mean, there was these people from another country that, I mean, they were just like, I, and it's like so frustrating. It's like, come on, they're just, they're, they're hogging it up here, man. I mean, I can't overeat because of them but say you come in the you come in the cafe there you walk in there and um you catch me committing the sin of gluttony i am just going to excess you might that that might happen all right and then you come to church and hear me get up and preach and you don't really think that much about it okay but let's say you came downtown you know to our famous downtown to the famous four-way and i'm not in the cafe but i'm outside the cafe and i'm uh smoking weed with a bunch of teenagers (laughs) and i get caught i think you say hey sin is sin i'm probably not going to be preaching here this morning if that happened okay so you see what i'm saying you know, sin is sin, but sin is not the same as far as consequences. Uh, and so that would definitely disqualify me in a lot. In fact, you know, you might be coming down uh, town again to uh, stand in line and get on that little phone and talk to me through the little window, right? Right? That could very well happen, you know. So sin is not all the same. Consequences on earth is one thing that can be affected, but also rewards in heaven. Now, this is a whole other message, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about, uh, Paul talks about, uh, even though 
though you're saved, your work's being tried, and we're going to be rewarded. We're going to, and, and it's, it's, it's very deep doctrine. We can't, he doesn't tell us much about it. We don't really understand it. But there are going to be the rewards as a result of how faithful we, we have lived and how fruitful we have let the Holy Spirit work in through our life. And that it, it perhaps involves blessing or perhaps involves our ability, different uh, ways that we'll be able to glorify God in heaven. But it is based on our behavior here. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, if you want to look it up later, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul talks to Christians and he tells Christians that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body. That's why we're here, whether good or bad. And this isn't a judgment of salvation. It's a judgment of rewards, and you might say, because the word judgment seat is actually a Greek word, bima. And that was where after the race that all the participants were lined up and the awards were handed out. And, that's hap- and, and it was something they were familiar with in this world uh, during the Olympic Games in that day. And that's, that's a, a, a kind of a, a visualization that Paul uses there in that. So there is that, even though that's a little mysterious. We don't quite understand it, but the Bible does speak of it, okay? The other thing is punishment in hell. And, you know, I always thought, well, hell's hell. Huh? But yet, I don't know. There are some verses that... that Trouble me. You remember this? When Jesus is teaching and he talks about these religious leaders who were hypocrites and how they were taking advantage of people. They're the ones who wanted him crucified, by the way, later on because the Messiah they said they believed in shows up and they didn't want him. And he talks about them and he says in Luke 20, verse 47, who devour widows' houses. They take advantage of people who are really hurting. And they use their religious clout to do it. He said then for a pretense, make long prayers. They try to seem so holy and spiritual, but they're not. Look what Jesus says. says these will receive greater condemnation. Did I hear that right? Did he say greater condemnation or more severe condemnation? That's what Jesus said. It is what he said. So there's that. And, and then when Jesus was standing before Pilate, remember that? And all the accusations. In John chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus answered and said to Pilate, You know, Pilate's like, don't you understand that I could, you know, have you crucified or not or whatever? And Jesus answered and said, you could have no power against me unless that had been given you from above. And listen how Jesus addressed him. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the what? Greater sin. Sin is sin. But Jesus says here, the one who delivered me has the greater sin. And, and there's several instances. Another one is in Mark chapter 6, when he's talking to the disciples about going and preaching in these different cities. And he said, if there's a city where they, you know, they abuse you and they mistreat you, talk to them about kicking the dust off their feet and getting out of there. Uh, but see, those cities had been exposed to the truth, and they had heard the truth. But he says this, assuredly, in Mark chapter 6, verse 11, assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What? You're telling me in the day of judgment that things are going to be worse in some way that we don't understand for them than it was the people in Sodom and Gomorrah because of the truth that they had available that they didn't? Yes, he does seem to allude to that. So there are three things why it matters of how you live. One is It affects consequences on earth, rewards in heaven, and even punishment in hell. Uh, And and, and Paul even says, so Jesus says that evidently not all sin is the same, right? Evidently. 
And even Paul says something about not all sin being the same. For, for instance, sexual sin, he says, is different than other sin. Did you know that? He did. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornea. He says, this is not something you can fight. This is not something you can just overcome. This is something you need to run from because you're no match for it. Okay, this is one of those sins that we're said not to fight, but to flee. And so he says every sin that a person does outside, does it outside the body, but who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. This is that passage where he talks about your body, once you're saved, is the temple. It is the house of God. And look what's going on in the house of God. So basically, your body belongs to God. You were purchased at a price, he goes on to say. And you're not just sinning, you're sinning against, it affects you emotionally and physically in a way that's different than other things you need to flee it. That's what Paul says, okay? So evidently, it's a, it affects you a little differently than even some other sins do, okay? So right back where we were is that it does matter what you do. It does. And that sin isn't just sin. That it matters. It matters on earth and it matters in eternity. Okay, how you live, what you do matters. It matters on earth, and it matters in eternity. Lie number three, as we move on. First lie was, I'm not a sinner or a bad person. The second lie was, all sin is the same. But this third one that a lot of people use, and that is, is that, well, I've already sinned. I've already failed, so I might as well just keep on sinning. You'd be surprised how often, and there's a church version of this. See, this could be applied to all kinds of situations. Well, I've already lost my virginity, so it doesn't matter now. That's a lie. Or it's kind of like you um, cheated on your spouse and you didn't get caught, so I might as well keep doing it. That's a lie. Or I tried drugs once and nothing really that bad happened. I might as well do it again. That's a lie. See, there's all of these kind of lies that sometimes we think, well, because... Because I gave up this ground, I might as well just forget it and just go on. That's not true. Don't buy into that. That's a trap is what that is. Did you know that? That is a trap. And there's a church version of this. The society's like, maybe, well, I failed, so I might as well just keep on sinning. But there's a church version of this, and that is people who really understand grace and salvation by faith, uh, by grace through uh, faith, that you receive God's grace by faith. And, and Christ did all the work. He paid the price for your salvation, all that. And it's kind of like, well, if God loves me and forgives me, if Jesus paid for all my sin, because he loves me. Come on, we're just thinking out loud here, right? I might as well just keep on sinning so he can just keep on loving me and forgiving me. Good old God, it just glorifies him more. Huh? Don't look at me like you've never heard of that. You're all like, that's disgusting. Look like you just chewed on a, are, are the persimmons ripe yet, Daryl? They, they are? No, they're still green. Some of you have been munching on some green persimmons all puckered up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, let me know, and we'll help you understand. We'll get some persimmons for you. Okay? Uh this is thousands of years old. Paul dealt with this in his teaching. Did you know that? Church folks, he's writing to people who are Christians. And in Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Now, Paul brings this up because obviously this is a question someone was asking and he needed to address it. 
So what shall we say? Or someone is asking this question. Shall we continue in sin then if God's grace abound? My sin had abounded, he said right before this. But, but where my sin abounded, God's grace superabounded and covered my sin. Well, come on, we're just going to use our human logic. Because of that, shouldn't I just continue in sin that grace may just keep abounding? Wouldn't that be something, right? right? And, and then there are some people that understand grace and understand how God's grace is so amazing and covers our sin. And that is true. That is true. But you've got to watch out for the little things that are a little off that slip in there. Because in chapter, in chapter 6 and verse 15, he identifies another one that people were asking behind the scenes. In verse 15, it says, what then? And I anticipate someone is saying this, Paul is, is indicating. He says, shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? His answer both times. Certainly not. Literal translation in the Greek is may it never be. But it's said in such a way, and it's a phrase that was just like heavy. The old King James actually translated it what? God forbid. Well, that's not the translation at all because neither one of those words are in the Greek, okay? But they were looking for a way that they could convey how strong Paul was saying this, and that's what they translated it. Uh, certainly not. Man, there's really no way in our language we got something that I could say right now that says it as strongly as that. That's what Paul would want me to say it. You probably wouldn't like it, okay? <laughs> so, no way, Jose. Okay, no, that's not it. That's not No way. Shall we sin because we're, under, we're not under the law but under grace so God can just keep being gracious? He says, no way. That's not it at all. That's not what God's... So it does matter. Just because you've sinned don't mean, well, I've already failed. I might as well keep on sinning. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I try not to smile when I'm talking about hell. But I almost did because it is a lie from the pit of hell and it needs to be exposed. Um... Spiritual maturity isn't just, see, we know this. I know this about God's grace. I know this about God's love. I know this about God's goodness. Sometimes you can know so much you don't know anything. Let me tell you something. We need to know more. If you love him, if you're in love with someone, you want to know more about him, more about him, more. But you ought to have a passion. You ought to have a desire. You ought to hunger and thirst for that, to know more. But knowing more does not make you spiritually mature. You need to know more. But knowing more does not automatically make you spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know about the Bible. It's about how much of what you know that you live and obey. You get that? It's not about how much you know. It's what you do with what you already know. Many of us are educated way beyond our level of obedience. And it may be before the Lord helps you understand some of the deeper mysteries of Scripture that you need to start obeying a little bit more of what you already know. And you do it because of your love relationship with God. Not just out of guilt or duty, but because you love Him and are passionate about pleasing Him. How much of what you know do you Obey. Mark Twain once said this, and he wasn't noted as being a believer, but he said, it's not the things in the Bible that I do not understand that bother me. 
It's the things that I do understand that bother me the worst. Some people want to know these deep mysteries and they get all mystical and deep, you know, and all that. And I, know these, I know these things. And, and see, when you act that way, you try to put yourself over. I know more than you. And we have that all the time happen, you know, uh, sometimes just, you know, even talking about something. Well, I know this. Well, I heard this. Well, I know, you know, it's a gossip and all that. And, but, but it makes us feel important to know more than someone else. And someone, someone that even creeps into the church, you know, and people claiming to have some word of knowledge or some, know some spiritual truth that I just know more than you guys. So I'm better than you. I'm higher than you. You got to watch it because pride comes in the back door and does that. But let me tell you, the deepest person isn't the one that just like knows all this stuff. It's the person that lives this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Come on. Let's get with it here. We need to let the truth of God that we already know permeate our lives and set us free from the sin that entangles us. Because that's what the word of God does. It begins to set us free from the sin that tangles us up. And all the lies, the traps that the enemy has set. So, as I said, Paul answers this by saying, certainly not. And then he goes on in chapter 6 there. He says, how shall, in first part of the chapter, says, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then he draws in our baptism as a picture of that. When you are baptized, you are identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Where he died on the cross. You entered into that. You identified with That's what your baptism illustrates. That you, are, you died to sin. You, your sins were crucified with Christ. You're crucified with Christ. And that just like Christ rose from the grave, you rose out of those baptismal waters to be a new person. And then empowered by the resurrection power of Jesus. See, it's a symbol of resurrection. Just like Jesus rose from the grave. Now, you not only have the death of Christ on the cross to pay for your sins, illustrated by when you go down in the water, but you have the resurrection of Christ where he defeated sin as you come out of the water. And he identifies that. So you have been raised a new person. You've been passed from death. You were spiritually dead. And your sins were crucified with Christ. And now you're alive spiritually. So walk in a newness of life, he said. Why would you want to walk in those dead works while you are dead spiritually? Why would you want to keep living in deadness? Why do you want to walk in deadness when you can walk in life? You don't want to be walking in death. You want to be walking in life. And Paul uses that illustration right there in that very chapter. And I'm convinced of something. I've heard people say this, and I believe it's true, that the most miserable person in the world is not the unbeliever who just keeps living in sin. Rather, it is the Christian who knows better but chooses to live in sin. That's the most miserable person in the world right there. It's those who know the freedom available to them. They know the standard of God, the truth of God, but they choose to reject it and intentionally live in sin on and on and on. They know there's something better, but they reject the will of God. They reject the purpose of God. And here's one sign of spiritual maturity is an awareness of sin. Because I want to tell you, as I grow in Christ and know him more and seek to obey him more because I love him, I become aware of more things in my life that the Holy Spirit's convicting me about that is sin that years ago I might not have even considered to be sinful myself. Right? So as you grow deeper, rarely do you get to the point where I'm just, man, I'm there. No, usually you get more humble. And usually you know more about how much you rely on the grace of God. The more you grow and the more you know, the more sinful you realize you really are. Because the truth of God shines light on those dark areas in our life. And there's some things that you never thought about as really being wrong or sinful that now you realize doesn't measure up to the fullness of Christ. And you're convicted by it. 
one thing about sin is sin is progressive. When you first start looking at porn the first time, the next time it'll be easier to do. The next time it'll be easier to do. You have premarital sex, you cheat on your spouse, it's going to get it's easier and easier, and it'll be like, it takes more and more. You start doing drugs, it's going to be easier to do it again and again, and it takes more of it and more of it and more of it to give you whatever thrill that you're seeking. It's that law of diminishing returns that your craving for something goes up, 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 and its ability to deliver goes down, 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 and as that gap grows, you just go to insanity. That's what sin does. You know the old saying, it'll take you further than you want to go. And it'll cost you, or it'll take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you wanted to pay. That is true. That is so true. Another way that it costs us is with intimacy with God, believers. Because sin always separates. And as I intentionally do that and say it doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm not hurting anyone. I seem to be getting by with this, but yet I know the Word of God says this is wrong. What happens is, is it begins to affect my love relationship with God. I don't hear his voice as clearly. I don't feel his empowerment as strongly. The fruit of the Spirit isn't flowing as freely through my life. I begin to grieve the Spirit. I begin to quench the Spirit. I begin to try to do life in my own power rather than his. And I'll tell you another thing that happens is the distance between me sinning and being convicted and repenting and getting right with God, that gap begins to grow. When you're really focused on him, it doesn't take long before God will just convict you in your heart or he'll bring a scripture to you that, whoa, it's got you. Or he'll use a brother or a sister doing something or saying something that he will use to speak truth into your life, to convict you. But what happens when you begin to wander away from him in sin like this is you don't hear that so well. And the gap and, and, and what has to happen to convict you or chastise you to get your attention, that gap between your sin and that begins to grow. One way you know you're growing, though, in your faith is that gap gets smaller. You may fail, but it doesn't take long before you realize that you're convicted and you're wanting to restore that closeness with him. See, uh, sin grows best in the dark. Did you know that? It grows best in the dark. We need to bring it to the light of Jesus, confessing it to him, and let him set you free. Because he's the only one who can set you free. You can't do it, but he can do it through his presence in you. Okay? Now, Sin will mess you up, even though you're saved. So it does matter how we live. Sin's bad news. Huh? Is it? We all struggle with sin, even though we're saved, because we still live in this sin-cursed body and this sin-cursed world. Every single one of us struggle with the flesh and with sin. All right? But that's bad news, and we're all sinners. But the good news is this. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Amen. Jesus is a friend of sinners. I'm so thankful for that. You need to see that you're a sinner before you recognize that he's a savior and that you need a savior. He said he didn't come for those who think they're healthy, but those who know that they're sick. We need to understand that. We need to realize that. I need to realize how I struggle. I need to realize it does matter what I do and how I live. I need to, and, I, and, I, and I'm not doing it just because I'm scared. I'm doing it because I love I love him and he loves me. And this verse that we looked at last week, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 
He says, no temptation. There's no pull Satan can put on you that's so strong, but what is common to all people. But God is faithful. He's not going to let you out there by yourself. He is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted and, and enticed by the enemy on a level that's more than you can take. This has nothing to do with just the regular pressures of life like we said last week. But notice this part. With the temptation, will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I want to tell you, you feel trapped today? Does anyone feel trapped? You feel trapped. You feel like you don't know how to get out. I got into this thing, and I don't know how to get out of this thing. I want to tell you, stand on the word of God, that God always says that there's a way out. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And don't feel trapped. Don't feel like that things can't change. He can change you. You can't change it. But if you feel trapped, let him lead you out. He's promised that not only does he make the way out, he is the way out. And the reality is that sin does always cost us. But the reality is, is Jesus is still bigger than all your sins. Amen? Now, you remember this verse that we looked at early on, at the beginning of the message, 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So now we begin to be aware of some things maybe we weren't really thinking about much this week. They may not be biggies, they may, but they're still sin. They still have consequences. I'm glad verse 9 is there. I haven't shown verse 9. You know verse 9? <laughs> 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, did you hear that? All unrighteousness. Anything that falls short, all He cleanses us. He paid for it. He's promised to do that. If we confess, that word confess literally means to agree together with him that he's right about us and his word is true about us. And we confess our sins. I'll never forget being in the hospital and visiting with an old man. Someone here had asked me to go visit back probably 25 years ago or more. And as I was in there, he felt like he'd just gone too far. He'd wasted his life. He'd run from God and he couldn't be saved. He just felt that way, but he wanted to be saved. He just didn't think God would forgive him. And I said, well, do you believe the Bible? And guess what? He said, I do believe the Bible. And I said, well, you're not believing the Bible. You're believing what Satan's telling. You're believing Satan's lies instead of God's truth. And I read that verse, and I said, do you believe that verse is true? Yes. Are you willing to do this? Well, I'd like to. Let's do it. And, you know, we went along so long, and I finally got him to pray with me and, and, and pray the prayer that this verse talks about. And I tell you the truth, at first, I just kind of thought he did it to get me out of there. He was, he was dying. He didn't have much strength. I knew he was tired. I kind of pushed it a little bit that day. I just felt led to. And when I left... I thought, well, I'm not sure if he was sincere or not. I hope he was settled in his heart. I hope he didn't just try to do that to get rid of me. And, you know, it was like two days later that he died. And his relative who lived here and went to our church called me up and said that that very next day he called all of his family in because he had very little strength. And he told them about praying that prayer and told them he rejected, he, he, had, he had run from God. He regretted rejecting the Lord early in life, and he didn't want them to do the same thing. And then a day after that, he passed. Wow, that was powerful. Don't let, Satan will keep lying to you to the end, folks. You gotta believe God's truth. So, in conclusion, this morning, we gotta ask a couple of questions. Is there something that you know, when you look at the word of God, that you know in your life is displeasing to God? Well, because of your love relationship with him, that you can't let that slide. You want to please him, okay? You want to please him more than you want to please anyone else. Do you want his forgiveness? And do you want his help to overcome it? All you've got to do is trust in him.